Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world as always. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 15th of May. Joining me as ever is Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ, the beating heart of the internet. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Google today, uh, AOL have just made a uh, been uh, made a very sorry have been bought for a very large amount of money. Uh, Apple are going to be doing some more expanding here in Ireland. We'll be talking about Windows 10 as well, and later on we're going to be talking to the people behind. Um, I, well, I was just saying Niall, that uh, it's a, a bit of a youth tech thing, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's more than a youth tech conference. It's kind of a movement, I suppose, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and it's it's more for educators than young people as such. So uh, well, what's discussed at it will it will have mm. a knock on effect with young people without actually having too many young people. But at it's it. people like ourselves and people who listen to this podcast who are actually involved in it, which is why we're finding out a little bit more about that in the show. But first, let's start off with Google. I have the right to be forgotten by Google and my chances are 4 in 10 they'll actually do it, meaning that 6 in 10 people are told, go away, toddle off. Uh, yeah, I think it might be slightly unfair, but, if, you know, you've got the, the letter of the story right. Uh, as you know, a year ago, uh, the EU passed a law that said if somebody does a search for you and the information they get is either inaccurate or out of date or doesn't serve any public purpose whatsoever, you can apply to have that information removed from Google search. So, you know, it might still live on a you know, an individual website or on a newspaper website or somewhere like that. But as far as Google is concerned, no, that information is is off limits. And uh, you might remember um, the sort of the case that triggered it was a, a guy who had um, problems uh, with, with a, a land or house deal or something like that. And, mm. you know, the reporting on it just it was stale. It was a story that had was actually having a negative impact on his life, despite it happening years and years and years ago and everything being resolved. So it, it comes down to sort of the fact that Google has made the organization of information kind of horizontal. You can you can put in a Google search and you can get uh, information back from from any time really. It's based on sort of how well a story or a piece of information is regarded, rather than when it occurred. So you might do a search in a, a newspaper and the news stories of the day will come up first or whatever. Google isn't like that. So if somebody does a search for dusty roads and you did something really dodgy ten years ago, that's the story that's going to come up, despite the fact that it might not serve any public purpose whatsoever. Say, Dusty Roads got clamped 10 years ago. That story serves no public, um, uh, has no public merit whatsoever. You can apply to Google and say, look, this story isn't doing anyone any favors, least of all me. Can you take it down? And in a case like that, Google will say, yeah, you've got a reasonable case. Let's, let's do that. Uh, and Europe has enshrined that in law. So Google at least have to take that request seriously. Now, if it was a case where you'd gone out and robbed a bank, actually that is a matter of, of public interest and Google will say no. So of all these requests that are flooding in, so far Google has taken um, something like 
322,000 requests and honoured them. Mm-hmm. And yet it has rejected about 458,000. So now, what is your... I mean, the headline is, you know, Google are supposed to be doing this and they reject 59% of the requests. Um, what's your reading on it? Are you kind of going, well, they're doing what they said to do and they're doing a reasonable job of it? Or do you think, oh my God, that's shocking. Why aren't they taking all 100 off? I think it has more to do with the savvy of the people that are applying to have these things removed. Uh, I mean, if you've, if you've had an issue with reputation management in the past, uh, be it for fair immunity, means or foul, absolutely. Um, I think that it speaks to you're aware of this, but why are you aware of it? Mm. Is it because you know you've had a very valid reason, and maybe you've been flamed or had someone stalking you or something like that, mm. and posting nasty things about your business on Yelp? This is the sort of thing that can happen, and, and naturally, this is a pretty good mechanism that you can have to apply to Google, and they can't say, "Oh, we're such a large company, you know, we we have this, we have that, we we operate to different rules or servers or somewhere else." Um, for the EU to come down with this law and say, uh-uh, no, if you want to do business over here, you got to abide by this. Mm. So I think it's perfectly, uh, perfectly reasonable for someone that has had a, a, a genuine issue with identity management or reputation management to pursue this. Uh, of course, the flip side is, you know, a bank robber has served his 10 years, gets out, gets out of prison and wants nothing about his past life uh, in the public domain. That's a very different situation. Mm. Uh, and of course, People will chance their arm on something and think that, you know, they're dealing with maybe an automated system where Google will look at something and go, ah, you know what, it's, it's one story, we'll take it down. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it was a story that happened 10 years ago, we'll take it down. Uh, but these are still things of legitimate public interest and deserve to be catalogued. And, and, and being kept be an eye on, it, it has to be fair. I read a, a, an article only very recently, actually, that said, uh, it was kind of like, you know, they say there's there's a, a number of stages of grief when, when somebody passes away, or so there's certain stages that you go through. And they mm-hmm. said there were four stages that Google went through with this whole you, you, you uh, taking them to court over the right to be forgotten uh, and they said the first stage was they just ignored it they went ah it's only the EU who cares sure they'll never take on a major American uh, uh, multinational global giant like Google <laughs> and win <laughs> don't be ridiculous and then there was the second stage where they went what <laughs> That's ridiculous. The third stage was anger. How dare the EU tell us what to do? Da, 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 da. And the fourth stage was they just got on and did it brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, speaking of another story that's kind of making news where, you know, the, the, it appears as if somebody is saying one thing, but then they're going off and doing another. And that is Windows 10. And the whole idea is that we're going to have one Windows that's going to work on everything. But it turns out that's not quite the case. Am I right? Yeah, the strategy uh, starts out and you're thinking, this is fantastic, because if you look at the extremes of the operating system spectrum, I guess you'd call it at mm. the moment, on one side you have Mac OS X uh, and OS X server, um, and that's kind of the Apple end of things. Then uh, on the far end, you've got how many different versions of Linux you want, uh, massively fragmented, helped and hindered by the fact that it, there's a massive developer community that are working on it. Uh, and then kind of in the middle, you have Windows, which sort of skews off into various different directions. But, you know, really, there's only one version people care about, which is the, the home version. 
Now, uh, Windows 8 and beforehand uh, Windows Vista really suffered from over-fragmentation. So when looking towards uh, how Windows 10 is going to be handled, it kind of breaks down. The headline strategy was one Windows. So that implies one user experience, one set of um, functions that you may decide to uh, use or ignore at your leisure. Hmm. Uh, but it looks like we're going to have pretty much the same level of fragmentation as you had before. So, so far as we know at the moment, there are going to be about seven flavors. So there is going to be Windows 10 Home, Pro, Enterprise, <sighs> Mobile, uh, sort of hearkening back to the old Windows Mobile days, I suppose, um, as opposed to Windows Phone. Then uh, you are into IoT Core, which is Internet of Things Core. So this is, you know, your your tiny little devices like the the mic the microchip in your smartwatch or uh, the little media streaming device that plugs into the back of your television. You know, this is the super stripped down version of Windows 10 that you can run on pretty much any device you like. Then there's Windows 10 Education and Windows 10 Mobile Enterprise. Now the the problem is that if you look at what the, the way people are actually using computers, the enterprise model kind of applies across many settings. I mean, if you've got, if you're working in a very large business, uh, your IT department needs a lot of control over what you're doing. Um, this is why we have enterprise uh, editions. However, for an IT department working in a university or a school, a lot of the problems of management are the same. So, why you would actually need a separate version for education? Um, doesn't really sort of leap out as making an awful lot of sense unless they're sort of stripping back the uh, feature set to something more like Windows Home and using a pricing model like Windows Enterprise. Uh, yeah, you can, you can see the logic, but at the same time, why would you complicate your market so more? So well, I, th- I think it's probably down to marketing more than anything else because, you know, because we, 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 we eat sleep and live this business we we do want to know about the difference between pro and enterprise and light and core and education and we can, we can absolutely the way you've described it there it makes absolute sense that microsoft would have all these various different versions of windows 10 for all these various different but i think across the board if they get that marketing right they're just going to call it windows 10 yeah, you need Windows 10 for your phone. It's the phone version of Windows 10. You need Windows 10 for uh, for business. That's the work version, and that uh, interacts with all of the, the on-site servers and yada yada and whatever. And then you've got Windows Home, but well, that's just for your laptop or your home computer or whatever it happens to be. Um, but it's all called Windows 10. And once it all looks and feels uh, the same, no matter what device you're on, I think they're still on a winner. Uh, yeah, I can see the logic there. Um, of course, what's kind of interesting about this as an angle is that once you get Windows 10 insert version here kind of a thing this is the last kind of exposure you're going to have to Windows 10 or Windows X number as a a Windows strategy you will be buying in future Windows Home and that will be updated on a rolling basis Mm. you'll be on Windows Education and that will be updated on a rolling basis so uh, it's quite nice, but it makes you wonder, like, if the whole point of the one window strategy is to bring everything under one simplified umbrella, why you would still have these different iterations going to market that, you know, granted, they each have a slightly different feature set or a pricing strategy, mm. 
but can you not just not use things? I mean, is that, is that so hard? <laughs> well, then, you know, that could be a little bit. And then the other thing that, that Microsoft does very well is that they just have deals where you get Windows on the machine anyway. It's one of the things that uh, I really detest test about buying a PC is that I am told, well, Windows 8 is the latest version, and that's what you get. Ah, yes, but can I actually have that machine with Windows 7 on it? No, sir, you can't. <laughs> End <Yeah>. of. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, so I think, you know, when you, when you, as you naturally go out and buy a new phone or tablet or a new PC or laptop or whatever happens, it's going to have the appropriate version of Windows 10 on it. Yeah, and I think for most people, that is the home version. Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, no, I don't. Yes, no, yes, no. I don't know. Um, uh, but it, it'll certainly be one of the most popular, especially for people who live in homes. Yeah, let's move on to. <laughs> Let's move on to AOL now. Um, AOL was one of the original internet companies and I remember back in the day back in 94 or whatever like you know and annoying people uh, in America and when you'd be emailing them and this was still in an age for me where I'd be like you know look at this I can send this email now bing it's sending all the way to America and 10 minutes later Bing, they've written me a reply. It's amazing. Uh, and they would often be on uh, AOL. So AOL has been around almost since, you know, the birth of the internet. It's been around a long, long time. And now they've been bought by somebody even bigger. Uh, well, not so much bought. The bid is in. Of course, these things always have to be approved by the uh, FCC in, in the States, who are, who are quite picky when it comes to the telecoms market. But I think this is a deal that's going to go through because this is a case of an infrastructure company looking to buy what is basically a content company now. Um, AOL, as you know, as you've alluded to. I mean, it was one of the forerunners in the internet in the States. They really sort of fell on hard times, though, when broadband came along and kind of decimated their core product, which is dial-up, uh, dial-up internet connectivity, uh, of which they still have 2 million subscribers. No way. Still? Still. Two, many, two million people in the States use AOL dial-up. Well, do you know what? That, that just goes to prove that you think of America as being the world leader in things, but it's amazing how backward America is in a lot of other things. So two million people still dialing into the Internet actually doesn't surprise me. Anyway, continue, my friend. Yeah. So uh, Verizon, which is uh, sort of an infrastructure company, probably best known for maybe its mobile services, uh, they're in the market for a content wing. Now, a couple of years ago, AOL went into, into the market for content as well. They, they sort of went, well, look, you know, we're not, we're not doing well in infrastructure anymore. That sort of passed us by. So let's become a content company and let's just buy up things and just have sort of a, a nice umbrella of really strong brands. And that will be, uh, you know, we'll make money on advertising. And that's that's how we'll we'll operate from henceforth. So they went out and they they did some pretty good shopping. Actually, they bought the Huffington Post for uh, I think it was a hundred million or something at the time. They bought uh, TechCrunch. They already had Engadget, um, and I think they had Makers already and AOL.com, which is their own portal. So that would be you know the equivalent of MSN or something like that. So uh, this coming together will mean that Verizon will have a, a pretty nice package of their own to get into the mobile um, advertising space. Uh, the bid that's gone in is $4.4 billion. It's kind of modest when you think about it. I mean, uh, AOL was subject to 
massive, absolutely massive acquisition there in the early thousands where it was valued, the total deal when it was merged with Time Warner, Time Warner was valued at $160 billion. Wow. And, you know, that's, you think Facebook is something, but, you know, Time Warner, AOL, $160 billion deal, it was calamitous for all concerned. In 2009, AOL was split off, and uh, it's one of those things that nobody wants to talk about ever since. So just to give you an example of how well AOL is or is not doing at the moment in the um, global advertising market, it represents 0.74% of the market. In a, in a market of 145 billion, it's got 0.74 percent versus Google, which is on nearly 32 percent, uh, AOL, which is on 8 percent. So there's an awful lot of room to grow. But I think a sizable chunk of that is down to brand perception. I mean, AOL is still seen very much as you know a, a dated brand on the back of a really mm. bad acquisition deal. So. I don't know when your business when you're still associated with putting CDs through the door to get people to connect to the internet, mm. and you've got mail. <laughs> you even have a movie called "You've Got Mail." You know that that was probably the height of it at the time. Like you know, uh, but listen, thankfully, it's not my four point four billion that's going into it. It's not your four point four billion. Uh, so we can just sit back and we can uh, we can look at what's going to happen. Speaking of uh, large financial deals, uh, Apple is throwing more money. Well, I won't say throwing more money because they they don't do anything stupidly. But they're they're going to make an even bigger investment into uh, Holly Hill, uh, which is where their Irish factory is located in County Cork. What are they up to? That's it, yeah. I mean, as you say, Apple has ploughed a lot of money into uh, into Ireland lately, um, including 300 million into Holly Hill not too long ago. Uh, and apparently Apple owns an awful lot of land around that site as well. Mm. Um, of course, we know that it's it's um, bringing a data centre to uh, Galway, I think it is, in the very near future as well. So apparently Apple is, in, is hiring wholesale for uh, Cork. And one of the jobs it is looking for is a global supplier manager slash procurement manager with previous experience in automotive robotics or the aeronautic industry, which uh, of course is pointing to a certain direction of a a project that may or may not exist called Project Titan, which is Apple's rumoured electric car. But that's pretty much all we know at the moment. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and uh, and see what happens with that. Uh, as I was browsing around the internet, I see then on all the ads that next week is uh, National Enterprise Week. Uh, and I suppose as part of that, there's an event happening in Dublin Castle called Excite. And this is kind of like, you know, kind of uh, uh, kids. That, and there are a lot of young people uh, involved in this, but also people who teach kids and are involved uh, in getting kids interested in computers. Because I think the problem that we have today is that kids use computers. But it would be much better if kids understood computers and maybe were using computers as tools rather than pure entertainment systems, if you follow what I mean. So there are some people, there's a good uh, crew of people uh, behind this uh, event in Dublin Castle next week, which is called Excite. Great name for it. Uh, I heard about it on Twitter. One of the people behind it is Kieran Cannon, who is a, a TD. And I spoke to Kieran a little earlier on today to ask him about Excite and more about it and just exactly what it is. It's a, it's a movement, essentially, of uh, people across uh, education, industry, government who want to see an increased use of technology in Irish classrooms and indeed in Irish communities to enhance young people's learning. Um, we launched Excited, I suppose, just over two years ago now, 
with the intention I suppose, of, of shining a light on the excellent best practices happening in a number of schools across Ireland where teachers and students are already using technology in a very innovative way to really enhance the learning experience for young people. But we felt that this, these were happening in small pockets. Um, there wasn't a kind of a systemic change happening across the system. So we decided the best way to make that change happen was to hold up these wonderful teachers and students as an example to others hold a festival in Dublin Castle as you did last year and say, here's what's happening, here's how exciting it is, and perhaps others might like to get involved in similar initiatives in their own schools. So that's essentially what we're trying to do. Excellent. So the event is on in Dublin Castle next weekend. What What is going to happen over the few days? Okay, what happens over the few days, well, on the first day, it's kind of it's closed to the public. It's predominantly for young people themselves because we put young people right at the heart of the festival last year. We said, if you're going to try and re-engineer or reshape what an Irish classroom or an Irish school might look like, it's imperative that you engage with young people, not in a kind of a tokenistic way, but genuinely engage with them. Ask them what excites them, what inspires them, and indeed what bores them when they come and, and go to school. So we put them at the very heart of the, of the, of the event last year and consequently um, a group of young people came together led by a young guy called Harry McCann and they founded the Digital Youth Council of Ireland which is the very first of its kind in Europe with its 12 exceptionally talented young people who have been doing extraordinary things um, with technology and education for a number of years um, and said to them, they, they came together and said look, you know, we're going to form this youth council we're going to seek out the advice and the opinion and the wisdom and the knowledge of our of our peers across the country. And what we're doing is the first day, which is on the Thursday next, we're giving them that whole day to them. So they're organizing the day. They're choosing their own speakers, their own panelists, and their own subjects for discussion. They will then present the findings or the conclusions drawn from that day uh, to the main festival, which starts on Friday evening. And at that time, we will have uh, the main festival starts on Friday evening. We'll have teachers uh, students again, because we have students at the very heart of the event. Uh, we'll have experts on digital learning from Ireland and indeed internationally. And um, we'll have people from the industry, from Ireland's burgeoning tech industry, and also our, our, with a specific emphasis on our edge tech, our educational software industry, all coming together on, in the, the one building, under the one roof, to, I suppose, chart and, and lay out what's happened in the last year as a result of the first festival and say, where, where have we progressed to? Um, and the theme of this year's festival is growing our network recruiting revolutionary. So how do we go out there and seek out new people, uh, new teachers, new students, new people in industry, new people in government who have yet to, I suppose, engage in the use of technology in education mm. and perhaps see, see a value in it. So that's what we're going to do is to inspire so, others to get involved. I mean, if you look at something like Kohler Dojo, it was started by one young man almost four years ago now down in County Cork, um, and it's now mushroomed to the point where it's having a global impact, and we're hoping that over time, Excited will have a similar impact. Well, speaking of impact, what kind of impact is it going to have? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of people coming together, a lot of great things that have been talked about. Is any of this going to be, you know, kind of become policy in schools, or will there be any effect of it at government level? Well, what we're hoping is is that, if you, if you recall, just earlier this year, the UK government uh, made a decision to introduce computer science to schools in, in England across every primary and post-primary school. And that happened as a result of the foundation of an organization called uh, Computers at School, which was essentially a ground-up movement of teachers, young people, uh, and people involved in, in the digital industries in, in the UK who said, we simply need this to happen. And the pressure grew to the point where, well, Eric Schmidt from Google made a very, very, I suppose, scathing uh, criticism of the English education system. And as a response, then 
the government decided, okay, there's this pressure mounting from from the ground up uh, in terms of what needs to change, and the change happened. So what we're trying to do is two things. First of all is to create a critical mass of people who think that this is the right thing to do, so that if you have sufficient pressure emanating from the ground upwards, you'll affect change at the very top. And secondly, while that's happening, because that will take time, we're also running our own initiatives. I mean, for example, we launched uh, MacLeats with Sean O'Sullivan uh, in February of last year. And just this year gone, we had our national finals in, in DCU, but 13,000 Irish children participated in MacLeats, um, which is an incredible result from, you know, a year a year on to have that many children participating. And we're hoping to have that up to 40,000 next year. And that's all happened through word of mouth and primarily through Twitter and just teachers inspiring other teachers to get involved in MathLeads um, and use the, the Khan Academy platform. Uh, and MathLeads, the concept was developed in conjunction with Excited. It was Excited and the Sean O'Sullivan Foundation coming together. And it's now being used in California by the Khan Academy as a, as a model for uh, the rolling out of the Khan Academy in schools there. So that's having a national and indeed a global impact. We've also worked with um, Code.org to launch the Hour of Code in Ireland. And just last uh, autumn, we had the most events, second most events per capita in the world in Ireland uh, through the Hour of Code. So there are things happening. And we were adamant that last year when we met in Dublin Castle, it wouldn't be simply a matter of getting together, speaking to one another, patting one another on the back and saying, aren't we all wonderful? And then we all go off on our merry way. We needed to see tangible, real effective things change happening in our schools and that's what we're trying to do as well as being advocates for change to happen at a national level. Well that, it, it's a terrific attitude to have and I know it'll resonate with a lot of people who listen to tech radio and a, and a lot of people who listen to the show are very involved in tech and and this is the kind of thing some of them might want to get involved in or to find out more about. Uh, tell me uh, where, where do we find out more? Okay, uh, www.excited.ie that's our website and if you want to email us, it's just info at excited.ie. Um, we're on Twitter at we are excited. Um, so we're all on there and we're talking and communicating and reaching out. And, and, and the whole point is to get as many people as we can involved. We, we, we have wonderful support from, um, from industry, both indigenous Irish industry and indeed mm. from global behemoths that we have uh, here in, in this country at this point in time. Okay. So, yes, we want to see as many people as we can involved. Um, people have so much to offer. There's a huge amount of experience and wisdom and knowledge in industry that we would dearly like to have on, on our side working with us. Um, we, we, we believe that those kind of collaborations where you have uh, teachers, students, policymakers and industry coming together, you can affect something really powerful. And that's what happened with Natalie. Sean O'Sullivan approached us said, look, guys, I have this idea well, and I want to see, can we flesh it out and make it real? And it, and it happened. And, and there are many other, I'm sure, opportunities like that about ready to happen in the future. Good we stuff. We get these collaborative partnerships underway. Well, there's an awful lot to be uh, seen on excited.ie and the event takes place in Dublin Castle next weekend. For now, Kieran Cannon, TD, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. And that was Kieran Cannon, TD, talking to us about Excite, which is happening next weekend in Dublin Castle. That's it for our Tech Radio show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get hourly updates on tech news, along with daily newsletters, which uh, Niall is busy sending out every single... What time do you send them out at, Niall, actually? Uh, in and around five o'clock. In and around. A good way to, to finish the working day. Actually, do you know, I've done it many times when I'm doing meetings in town in the afternoon. I'm getting the bus on the way home and the phone is out and bingo, in comes the, uh, the old update time it was happened. Anyway, as I say, you can get the daily newsletter from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and of course every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall at Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care.
Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.